Hello everyone, this is Andre, the co-founder of Twins Tours and Travel in Jerusalem in Israel, born into a Christian Maronite family, and I'm a licensed tour guide and an ordained minister of the gospel. I have been leading numerous groups throughout the Holy Land for almost 20 years. Also, I'm an author of several books, and you can find them in Amazon. And one of the first books I wrote called One Friday in Jerusalem speaks about my life story. So join me for a journey of 10 days to understand the heart and the mind of Jesus and to understand the Bible in a deeper way with more details through the Middle Eastern perspective. Please share this podcast with your friends and families and churches and connect with me if you have any questions. Welcome to day number five. After staying two nights in Nazareth, we are staying another two nights on the shore of the Sea of Galilee in a kibbutz hotel. And today I made the wake up call at six o'clock in the morning. Breakfast will be at seven and we'll be leaving the hotel with the group at 7.45. I like always to go earlier to beat the crowds and we are all inside the bus and excited and ready to go for the day. I will give the group an idea what is coming and what to expect. First thing we're going to go to see and learn about the Sermon on the Mount, Mount Beatitudes, and learn about the Kingdom of Heaven teaching, and this is the theme of the day, the Kingdom of Heaven. Then we're going to continue to Peter Primacy Church and talk about restoration and how Jesus restored Peter, Shimon Peter, fully. And this place have another name called Tabga. And later on, Jesus having breakfast with the disciples. Then after that, we're going to head to Kfar Nahum, Kapernahum. Kfar Nahum in Aramaic and Hebrew, the village of comfort. Kfar means like a village. Comfort is Nahum. Nahum is to rest, the house of rest. Remember? Jesus was speaking about the Sermon on the Mount, Mount Beatitudes, about rest, about being blessed, about being content. And this is where he loved to go. And after touring Capernaum, we're going to have a lunch, St. Peter fish lunch. And then after that, we're going to continue to see the boat museum, Igalia Dean Boat Museum, where they have a replica of the boat inside that museum. And then we're going to have a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. That will be the peak of the day. And I will do something different and extra. I will go to something called the Valley of the Doves. It's a short walk along Jesus Trail. And we'll do a teaching there. And that will be the end of the day. Today will be a long day, good day, but a lot of information. We are approaching the church, the Sermon on the Mount. But as I mentioned earlier, and as a unique tour guide, I do not like to do the same routine where all the groups go to the same location and it's crowded. So I will always go to offbeat tracks and I like to use the authentic places behind the scenes and not exactly the touristic uh, like trap. Anyway, so I will tell the bus driver to not enter the church. Sometimes he gets surprised why. But anyway, I explain it for him all. But we go to the right side. There is another entrance. And it's a paved cement road. And uh, around us is a lot of eucalyptus trees. And that path will lead us to a backside of the church. And from there, we can see the building itself, the church building, and speak a little bit about the history of the church and that is owned by the Franciscans and the modern church. But between the banana fields, there are a hidden dirt route trail that would lead us to hike the authentic mountain, the Sermon on the Mount. This hike, I prefer to do it because it looks more like 2,000 years ago and Jesus walking in the fields with his disciples. And again, to make it more genuine, first century style, walking the land and experiencing scripture, the culture, the custom, and the context. 
Though doing the offbeat track and all the group will come down from the bus ready for the hike. Sometimes people like are elderly and it's very hard for them to do the hike. So I advise them or I suggest for them to stay in the bus because it can be tenuous in them. And the rest of the group will walk between these banana fields for around 15 minutes on a trail that is not marked at all. And we are, will arrive to a square elevated area with large basalt stones in the center. And uh, I'll tell the group uh, just to get seated. And we are in a site of a Byzantine church that was erected here in the fourth century. Of course, this is not open for public. This is offbeat place. And uh, the ruins we see around is for a Byzantine church that stood here from the 4th till the 7th century and dedicating the place and the location where Jesus has done the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. And I will let the group to be seated and when I start teaching they know it's like a minimum one hour so with a nice views down to the Sea of Galilee and this is a perfect location to rest and teach. I would like to start teaching about one of the most important subjects in the New Testament that Jesus was focused on. This subject is called the Kingdom of Heaven. And this subject, the Kingdom of Heaven, was number one important to the heart and mind of Jesus. And if it was number one important on his heart and to his mind, it should be number one priority and important in my life and your life to learn about. And I want to give you a little bit the geopolitical background and situation of Galilee in the first century. We are aware that Romans controlled this part of the world where Jesus came to. And actually, Herod Antipas, one of the three Herods, ruled this area of Galilee. We learned about Herod Philippi that ruled the area of the Golan Heights. Another Herod Archelaus, which was the weakest among the two brothers, ruled south in Jerusalem. And Herod Antipas ruled this area, Capernaum, Bethsaida, and all the area around, and Nazareth and Sipori. So Jews were under occupation and heavy taxation. You have to understand there are three kinds of villages around us here in the first century. There are the simple religious pious villages that have farmers, fishermen, and bakers. Really simple Jewish life with simple like villages, 200, 300 people at most. The second kind, we have Roman Decapolis, the Roman big towns, the power which is the other side of the lake where Herod Philippi rules. And the third kind of villages are the Hellenized towns, which is the location nearby the city of Tiberias, also southwest from here. And there are Jews that adopted and wanted to not to submit fully for Moses' law, but to go with the flow and go with the Roman power, Hellenism. But our focus here today is about the simple Jewish towns. And they were under occupation. And I don't know if you understand what is occupation. As Westerners, you are free countries and you have never been occupied recently in history. And uh, let me explain for you about occupation. Occupation is when you feel you have no rights. You feel you're oppressed. And you feel that you are a lower citizen. Even you feel you don't have any citizenship. And you are working so hard and you are paying many taxes and you don't have a large income and even even with your simple income when you go to jerusalem as a religious jew you have to pay the temple tax well it is a very harsh life and this is where the world jesus came to and his disciples though under hard circumstances and and under occupation and under hardships and because of all of that, they wanted freedom. So they are looking for a Messiah because they know the Old Testament very well. They are pious Jews, religious Jews. They're waiting for a Savior that can free them from all this oppression and from all the occupation, the Roman occupation. And Jesus, when he came to teach, 
all around the Sea of Galilee, he did not want to free the Jews only from Roman occupation. He wanted to free them from the source of occupation, which is sin. So Jesus always went deeper, always this Jewish rabbi as a teacher, proclaiming the good news and walking around telling all of his disciples and the rest of the Jews, follow me. And when you follow me, you're going to have a new citizenship. You're going to have a new identity. You're going to have freedom. And not only from occupation. You're going to have freedom from your sins. Freedom from the body, freedom from the flesh, and freedom from in the spirit. And Jesus always went to the core of the issue he always went deeper and deeper and it's all about the intentions of the heart so why was this an important message to the heart of jesus and what is the kingdom of heaven all about he's talking and few people like when i ask this question will answer me they will say the kingdom of heaven is god ruling in heavens for us to be with him I answer them, this is great answers, but still very Hellenized. You still think like the Romans. I want you all to start thinking in an Eastern perspective. And look what is the Eastern perspective. Let us look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. What was the center theme of the messages of the ongoings of teachings of Jesus? Well, all he says it at the beginning of his ministry throughout the center of his ministry and at the end of his ministry even after his resurrection was Matthew chapter 4 verse 17 he was mentioning that all the time to the disciples from that time on Jesus began to preach he said this is the important message chapter Matthew chapter 4 verse 17 it's a key verse repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near look jesus come out of the wilderness he has been empowered by the holy spirit and he's known to begin his public healing ministry and this message often referred to as the good news or the gospel of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of god is at the very heart and mind of jesus ministry i hope everything i share with you will prepare you fully to appreciate and comprehend what we are going to learn together in the spirit during today because if there is anything about jesus we must understand deeply and correctly is this subject the power of the kingdom of heaven and it's so important that jesus had spent almost three years of his life teaching 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 about it continuously and there are many questions that we can ask about the kingdom of heaven and during this podcast i will answer all these questions during this teaching too what is the kingdom of heaven where is the kingdom of heaven when is the kingdom who is the kingdom how does it operate why all of this is very important to us to learn as i read earlier in the gospel of matthew chapter 4 verse 17 it says repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand or near this terminology is using the kingdom of heaven. But in Mark and Luke, the gospel, it says the kingdom of God, which is correct to say the kingdom of heaven or to use the word the kingdom of God. And there are some scholars who say the kingdom of heaven is God ruling in heavens only in the spiritual realm. And they say that the kingdom of God, God ruling on earth in the physical round. Now, it sounds it would be really good teaching and sound good preaching, but the trouble is that it's a wrong understanding of the most fundamental teaching of Jesus, who was a Jew. And today, because we know Hebrew, we scholars and teachers even to an extent no sentences that jesus pronounced from his own mouth and today i'm gonna teach you these same sentences that jesus pronounced in hebrew about the kingdom of heaven because culturally jesus was jewish right and because if you understand the hebrew then you can understand what is the real meaning of the kingdom of heaven and you can understand there is, there is no differences between the word 
God and heavens is only a synonym word. Let me explain more. Now, I want you to pronounce these words after me. Say, Malchut, Malchut, which means kingdom in English. In Hebrew, Shamayim means heavens. Repeat again. Malchut Shamayim. Malchut Shamayim, the kingdom of heaven, which literally means the kingdom of heaven. Malchut comes from the same word as Melech, which means a king. So the original word of Malchut is from the king, kingdom. Because every kingdom, there should be a king. Shamayim is heavens. And this is a very term popular, like uh, so much popular in the first century, among the Pharisees in the first century time. And Jesus was a walking Pharisee. So this terminology, Malchut Shamayim, was used a lot. The kingdom of heaven. Now, first of all, it was a common sentence. Every religious Jew was using it in Jesus' time. Secondly, it's a typical Hebrew way of speaking, a commonly used word also in the first century. And thirdly, because the terminology kingdom of God is a very non-typical, non-Jewish way of speaking, not used much because the name of God was not allowed to be pronounced or spoken. It's a holy name. And the name God, Adonai, Elohim, is so much special, you don't use it. You put a synonym word, which is heavens. Okay? Let me mention again, such as Adonai, the Lord, all kinds of expressions like Jehovah or Yahuwah, they will not be used by the Jews because it's a holy name. So they will use instead of it the word heavens. And I want to expand my teaching and tell you and read from scripture about what Jesus pronounced from his own mouth. And I will say it to you in Hebrew and teach you in Hebrew way of understanding and Aramaic. Because there was a debate between scholars. Was the Sermon on the Mount taught only for the crowds in Aramaic or only for the disciples in Hebrew? Most scholars today agree that Jesus started teaching the crowds and after teaching the crowds he want to get more intimate and more deeper and more personal he continued to teach the disciples so it's both it was taught in aramaic and it was taught in hebrew and i'm gonna read for you from matthew 5 1 to 3 only one verse now when jesus saw the crowds he went up on a mountain aside and sat down his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. You see, after teaching all the crowds, he went all the way up to a mountain aside and sat down. Now, when Jesus sat down, it means it's important. It means it's personal and it means it's intimate. And it means only a Bible deep study for few people and not for the crowds. Like if you think in your Western mindset about mega churches. Sunday services, everyone go to hear the word of God and preaching. But the home groups is more deeper, more personal, because he can't reach the crowd so deep and personal. He needs first to reach his disciples, and the disciples reach more crowds, because at that time, his ministry was becoming more popular. So cell groups are so much important. Home groups are so much important. And look what, look what Jesus said in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs the kingdom of heaven. Blessed is a weak English translation. Again, the Hebrew and the Aramaic is the same word of blessed, means oh sure. Again, let me repeat, in Hebrew and Aramaic, blessed, original word is oh sure. Oh sure which does not mean blessed exactly in jesus mindset and his heart osher means joy 
And not only joy or happiness, it's deeper than that, the word in Hebrew. It means joy with content. Whenever you are content in the walk with God and with his spirit, that's the joy and the peace of the power of the kingdom of heaven. And remember, I told you the background. People were oppressed. People were like sad, occupation, taxes, hardships, working hard in their fields. So they wanted this joy to come to their lives. And here is Jesus telling them, joy for the poor in spirit. Who are the poor? The poor are the simple people. The poor are the people who are not educated. The beggars that are in the streets. I don't know if you've been in Jerusalem before or there's a lot of beggars in the street. They will come to you. Give me your money. Give me your money. They are like parasites. They will not leave you until they get something from you. And Jesus is saying to them, joy, if you are hungry, if you're begging in the spirit, if you want more of me, if you want to know more about God, and if you want to know more about his world by reading scripture. So joy to the humble. And after that, if you reached this level, yours is the kingdom of heaven. So you will belong and be part of the power of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is telling the people, if you listen to my words and my teachings, you're going to have joy and you're going to be part of this kingdom. Let us go back to learn more about the differences between the words the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. And we mentioned it's a synonym word. Heaven is a synonym word. And I'm going to give you another example. And this term heavens is used by Jesus in the Gospels, the parable in the parable of the prodigal son. Remember what the prodigal son says? I will return to my father and say, I have sinned against heavens and against thee. What thee means? It means he's saying, the prodigal son, I sinned against God in heavens and against my father on earth. But being a Jew, he uses the term heavens instead of God. So that was the term used in Hebrew, Malchut Shamayim, the kingdom of heavens. The kingdom of heaven is the term that Jesus would have spoken, but the writers of Mark and Luke are writing to non-Jewish audience. And they do not want the non-Jewish audience who do not know Hebrew to misunderstand the meaning of the kingdom of heaven. It's very easy, and as you see, we do it in the church also today. It's very easy to misunderstand when you speak of heaven. To think of the other world, and even in the Greek thinking, the God lives in the heavens far away, and only to focus on the future. Because when it comes to your mind, Christians, believers about heavens, we only think about the future, the focus on eschatology and end days and prophecies, and miss the present reality. What Jesus is speaking here is not something in the heavens, in the world to come only. What he is speaking here is the kingdom of heaven on earth, about today, about the moment, about the present reality. There are a lot of differences between a Hebrew orientation to life and a Greek orientation to life which the early church fathers also focus on the 3rd and the 4th century. And the Western church is inheritors of a Roman-Greek way of thinking. And the Roman church also, like the evangelical church also, today is a product of a Greek orientation to life. But Jesus and this part of the world in the Middle East, in Israel, in Palestine, was a product of an Eastern orientation of life. And one can draw many contrasts between a Hebrew approach to life and a Greek approach to life. And I've done a complete podcast about the difference of the Hebraic mindset and the Western mindset, the Middle Eastern mindset and the Western mindset. And I'll give you some more few examples today. For the Greek to study the Word of God and to like understand they want 
So when you read scripture in a Greek way, you just ask question. I want to understand why is this? Why is that? Why this happened? All of these like uh, to make sense to you. No. In the Hebrew, when you study scripture, you study to revere, to regard with respect about a relationship. It's all relational. So when you read scripture in the Greek, it can be boring and you don't understand it. But if you read in a Middle Eastern mindset, even if you don't understand it, accept it in the heart to revere and then goes to the mind. First the heart and then the mind. Because it's all about relationships. You build a relationship with scripture. God, Son, Holy Spirit is all about relationships. Three in one. Also, the Greek worships the holiness of beauty. The Middle Easterns worship the beauty of holiness. The Greek says and gives reasons, rational reasons. The ultimate authority for the reasons. But in Hebrew mindset, we speak and say, not reasons, we speak and say revelation as the final authority. When you hear to these podcasts that I'm doing, it's going to be a revelation to your walk and life in Christ. Another example. To the Greek, the good thing is to be free. You want freedom all the time. So much choices, so much freedom. Anyway, bring confusion. In freedom, unlimited self-expression. But in the Middle Eastern mindset, in Hebrew, the perfect virtue is obedience, not only freedom. Because with obedience, you listen to God. And you will have an orientation how to walk in your life. For example, in the Hebrew, you say, what I must do. You know, in the Greek, in the West, you say, why must I do it? No. Obey, listen, and pray. It's so simple. So one can draw many contrasts, and these are good benefits of both. There are good aspects of the Greek, of the Western mindset. Now you have to understand me, it's not wrong or right. No, it's both are good, both are important, and both are, are really we learn from. So there are great aspects in the Greek way of thinking, and there are great aspects of the Hebrew orientation to life. But if there is one central feature that we would say is most clearly different in Hebrew, though opposed to the Greek thought, is this. About the kingdom of heaven and the future. Let me explain more. What do I mean? The Greek thought is primarily about the other world, the future. It's like the Greeks. They want to know the future. They want to secure their future because their present they think is secured. And they all they are they want to know what's gonna happen in the future. You know why? Because they want to control the future. And I believe today this coronavirus has taught the Western way of thinking is not all about them and humbled the Western world because there's a power above them all. You know, the Hebrew thought of the future is interested in the world in the moment. It's about today. It is about the present reality. It's about now. Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. You know, what does it mean? It's here. It means it's now. It means it's in the present reality. It's the power of the anointing, of understanding the word of God. The kingdom of heaven is now. We can touch it. The kingdom of heaven is here. And Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Just stretch your hand and think about it. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It means you can touch it. You can feel it. It's among us. It's inside us. It's surrounding us. It's everywhere in the present moment. It's about today. It's not only in the future. It's about now. You can live as if you're living in heavens, down on earth, whatever is your circumstances, if you listen to the words of Jesus. And because it's a movement, the kingdom of heaven, 
when it's a movement, it's never boring. It's revelational. When it's a movement, it's keep going, progressive. It's expanding. I have good news for you. This kingdom of heaven is expanding slowly and steadily till the king come back. Allow me to compare this teaching also to the Old Testament. Who went to a mountain aside to receive Torah, to receive revelation on Mount Sinai? Moses. At Sinai, when the God of heavens and earth came down and revealed himself to Moses, then to a collective people and came down to the entire Jewish people and revealed himself to them. And the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus himself is Torah. Jesus himself revealed his teaching to his disciples, to the crowds, to all the Jewish people, to the nation, to the entire world. Remember, God gave Torah by the finger of God on Mount Sinai. You know what is the finger of God? This is a synonym word. Remember, Hebrew are images and synonyms. It means God gave the Spirit. God gave Torah by His power and His hand and His Spirit. Remember Jesus say, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's also by the Spirit. God revealed His hand, Jesus' hands, to the people, to the world. And what is Torah? Torah is a very hard world, but I'm going to make it very simple because there's no precise English translation. Torah, in one word, I can say is life. But let me expand more. I want you to remember this word, dig. D-I-G, dig. Torah means D, direction, I, instructions, and J, guidance. Dig, direction, instruction, and guidance. The Spirit of the Lord, the finger of God, the mountain eye, came in Moses. And Moses received directions, he received instructions, he received guidance in his life. And he went and gave it to the twelve tribes of Israel. From the twelve tribes of Israel, to the seventy sages, to the hundred twenty, to the entire Jewish population. On the Sermon on the Mount, is so similar to the Old Testament. Jesus himself is Torah. Jesus came and gave directions and instructions and guidance to people. Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. In the Hebraic mindset, the words means, I came to give the right interpretations of Moses' law. So Jesus came to give directions, instructions, and guidance to the 12 disciples, from the 12 disciples to the 70, to the 120, and then to the entire Jews and to the entire world. And also, Moses has listened to God and had built the tabernacles and wrapped himself and he taught Torah. And when you receive directions, instruction, and guidance, you receive life. To the mark, he sh- God shooted Torah, shooting Torah to the mark. I don't know if you know what's like shooting in like old way of thinking in like ancient times. You don't shoot with guns like today. We shoot with the spears or arrows. And when you shoot, you have to go to the mark, to the point shooting to the mark to the point when you shoot to the point and listen to guide direction instructions and guidance you get to life to the point one uh, short story once i was in texas and one of the pastors invited me to a shooting ranch and he thought it was my first time that i'm shooting i didn't tell him it was not my first time i love shooting machine guns anyway so I holded the machine gun and the pastor just gave me instructions. Really, he was really good in giving me instructions. And he gave me even directions. And he placed my hand exactly where to place like it on the gun. And he placed his hand on top of my hand. 
and he guided me carefully. And when I shoot it with a machine gun, I got to the point. <laughs> the pastor was so much impressed. I was impressed. You know why I made it to the point? Because I listened carefully. When we read Torah, when we read scripture, we get to listen from God, how we walk our life. And you know what is sin? In Hebrew, literally, means chet. Chet literally means missing the mark. When we sin in our life, we will miss the mark and will be distracted from God's plans to our lives. But if you miss the mark, it's fine. God is redemptive. He will get you back on track if you go back and read scripture. You're going to have directions and instructions and guidance. You're going to have life. You get back on track. What is the kingdom of heaven? I can explain it for you very simply. And we need to simplify things because the term, the kingdom of heaven, Malchut Shamayim, is so rich with meanings. And I told you, the Hebrew culture, like most uh, Hebrew terms, they are so rich. They are like an onion. Have layers after layers after a layer of meaning. And we need to peel these layers all the way out and to get to the core, to the richness of the flavor. So when we speak about the kingdom of heaven, we are speaking primarily about three things. There are three central things of a king. My kingdom, heavens, the king. Let me expand more why it's important to learn what is a king in the Middle Eastern mindset. And point number one, we have to know that Jesus is the king. Jesus is my king and your king. And when we speak about the kingdom of God, we are speaking about him as the supreme authority. Remember I said malchut, kingdom in Hebrew, malchut come from the root letter melech, which means a king. And the king is responsible. The king is so much important in any kingdom. Because what matters for the king should matter to us. So, if the king says something in any kingdom, everyone have to listen. And by the way, in this part of the world, you do not argue with the king. You don't tell him we do not like you. You have to accept him. And you have to differentiate between his personality and his calling in life. Don't mix the two together. Whether you like him or you don't like your king, you should listen to him and obey. You know why? Because the king knows more than you. And you know why? Kings are allotted by God from heaven's down to earth for a specific time of history for a specific reason to bring the kingdom in advance so you have to listen to the king the king is vitally important so point number one there should be a king point number two if there is a king there should be people on whom the king will reign and rule he will reign on himself. There is no value for him if there is no people. And who are the people? Who are the citizens in the kingdom? Me and you. We are the citizens. We are part of God's ruling and reigning in our lives down on earth. So we have a king, we have citizens, and we should have a place, the kingdom. When Jesus speaks about the kingdom of heaven, he's talking about those who submit for his ruling and reigning over their lives. So you see there's a relationship here. So it's a movement. And there should be a place for this movement. Where is the place? It's here. There are people who submit to his rulership, his reigning, his active intervention in our lives. And these are the people who make his movement. Us, me and you. 
But the kingdom is not something me or you possess. You do not own the kingdom. The kingdom owns you. He redeemed us for a reason. He redeemed us to submit to his redemption and to submit to his authority as a king. And then we become more responsible when we submit to him. And when we become more responsible, we become part of expanding this kingdom. I have good news for you. This kingdom is expanding slowly and steadily till the king come back. Let me and allow me to go to another layer. Now, to be part of his kingdom, it's so vitally important to understand that there is a role that me and you have to do in this world. And with all respect to all churches and ministers around, it's not only about your salvation, then you die in this world. There's more to the Christian life than dying. Do you hear me? If all that matter to, is Jesus to come and offer himself as the Passover lamb and being resurrected and ascended up to heaven and interceded there, for you, that's all that counted. He did not need to say and keep teaching for three years and a half, teaching and teaching and teaching about the kingdom of heaven. What is the point why I am bothering to talk about this? Because all that counts when we die, just go to heaven. That's not totally the Christian life. If you think it's only about the future and only it's great, I'm, don't misunderstand, we're going to heaven, of course. But it should not be focused that all I have to do in life is me, 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 get saved, 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 and don't care about the others and die and go to heaven. That's the impression are given to our walk is getting saved, die and go to heaven and getting souls saved. Many churches are focused on getting saved souls, like souls saved all the time. That is great, but... We're missing here a lot. We're missing the icing on the cake. We're missing living under the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit and what God wants us to do today at the moment in the real time and to live under the anointing. Look what did Jesus talk all the time. Again and again and again. His message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. It's now. There is a purpose. To our life we should be focused what i'm trying to tell you or express my heart and explain that it is more to your salvation than just your personal reward of getting saved dying and going to heaven salvation involves god's purposes what is his will what is his purpose he has a purpose in saving you it is more just to take you to heavens only and reward you he have things he wants you to do for his sake and for his name down on earth to accomplish, to bring him his glory. And it's not about you or me, it's about him. He saves us to do his will. This is what exactly Paul says in Ephesians. You are saved by grace through faith you do not earn. It's God's gift. And look what is written in Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. Verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, so that we would walk in them. You see, prepared beforehand to walk in them. We should walk in the Spirit of the Lord, what He wants us to do down on earth here at the present moment today. What is your calling in life? What is your ministry in life? What God created you to do? You have so much gifts. Are you using it in the kingdom down on earth? for the good works which he entrusted me and you to do. Look what is written in Luke chapter 10 verses 8 and 9. When you enter a town and are welcome, eat what is set before you, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you, which means it's at hand. So it's real-time ministry. 
Do you get the meaning? In other words, when you heal the sick, when you set the captives free, when all these manifestations of the power of the kingdom of heaven occurs, then you can say, the kingdom is here, is today. You do not say to them, the kingdom is approaching, or it's in the future only. It's here. People, their lives will change in the moment. It's here. That's why you have been healed. That's why you have been set free. That's why you've been walking in the Spirit. So this is my point. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is present reality. Yes, it has future implications, but it's spoken out by Jesus primarily and essentially as the present dynamic reality. And this is more of what Jesus' heart and mind to us. If you do not understand that the kingdom of God is a present reality, you are missing a lot of your Christian walk. But if you grab hold of it, it's going to transform and instruct and direct your life to a deeper walking with the Messiah. All the time we say, praise the Lord. It's about the future. No, it's about here and now. Why you do not allow God to do what he wants through you today? Many people are too busy. They are waiting for this kingdom to come in the future. Brothers, it has arrived. You know, the coronavirus gives so much time for people and believers to spend more time reading the word of God. Now, let me share with you what's written in Luke 21, 8 to 11. And he said, See to it what you are not misled. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and disturbances, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first. But the end does not follow immediately. I am the king to speak of the kingdom of God, is to speak of Jesus as the king. Do not be scared from the virus. He is above it. And when he says the kingdom of God is at hand, he is saying, I am the king and I have arrived. Because if you can get a hold of who he was and what he was doing, then you can begin to get a hold of who you are and what you should be doing because who is it that is in you is Jesus Christ do you get this if you understand who he was and what he was all about and what mattered to him and his heart should matter to me and matter to you then it's going to be much clearer to you as to who you are and what you should do in this world. So to summarize, this is what Jesus is trying to tell the disciples. It's about today, it's about the moment. The kingdom is here. I am the king and came down to earth and I'm gonna fulfill my destiny in this world in this short time of my life on earth. And every one of you have to fulfill their destiny on earth in the present moment to proclaim the word of God and the power of the kingdom of heaven. And then after this teaching, the disciples understood Jesus' mind and heart and what they wanted from them. And it made a revelation to them. And when I am teaching, I know it's very long, the group is really getting tired. And it's a revelation to them. So I see they are overwhelmed of really deep information and they can't absorb it all so i tell them just take 10 minutes be quiet and try to be like a sponge and absorb and the anointing and the teaching of the holy spirit and usually many times after i teach this message there will be a strong presence of the spirit of god and the atmosphere will change and everyone is like seeing new revelation and even there will be a physical presence a tangible presence of the power of the Holy Spirit and people will lives will be touched so deeply so I give them 10 to 15 minutes to absorb it to relax in order next to continue and hike down I want to take you and show you one of my most important favorite hidden 
gems in Galilee. It's called the Eremos Cave. It is just steps away from the road that passes the Church of Peter Primacy and is on our way going down. And just to know, like 99% of the pilgrims who come to Israel never come here or see this place. It's one of the most uh, like uh, a frequently visited holy sites in the early centuries of Christianity, in the 4th century. And this tiny cave was preserved in the memory of Jesus' followers at the deserted place where he would often frequently come for prayer and rest from the crowds. In fact, Eromos means lonely or deserted place. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is related to this location, Mark chapter 1, verse 35 to 37. In the morning, a great while before day, he rose and went out to a lonely place. And there he prayed, and Simon and those who were with him followed him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is searching for you. This is the traditional location where Jesus would rise early morning and pray. He wanted time alone with the Father. It's so much important to have time alone with the Father himself. And imagine being one of Jesus' disciples awakened by the Lord's movement in the early dawn, early hours, and observing Christ slip away from Capernaum. And despite he was really had a busy schedule letting during the day and so much busy in doing God's work, he needed time early morning to himself to spend with the Father. So it's so much important to spend time with the Father. And we should follow him. We should spend time in the morning and distant from everyone to read Torah, to read scripture. So we should be like Jesus. He's our model. He spent time to pray. And in order for us to speak with power and transform lives and bring healing to one another or find victory over sin in our own lives. And if you want to build in me a rich, strong foundation, we should have this intimate, personal prayer time with the Father. So I encourage you, let's carve out a cave of prayer in our homes, in our hearts, that the Father and the Holy Spirit can pour His presence and His gentle Spirit in our lives and talk to us how to walk under the power and the presence of His Spirit in the Kingdom of Heaven down on earth. I will point to my group where is our next destination and next stop. We're going to go down and cross a road and we have to cross the road all together to go and reach St. Peter Primacy Church. And then at that location, we're going to share more and continue with the subject, the Kingdom of Heaven. And I remind the group this theme is a teaching for all the day. And our next stop is Peter Primacy Church. And we're going to speak about how Jesus restored Peter. I am aware that this podcast was a little bit long, but thank you for listening. And uh, I pray that your life was touched by it. And it will be great if you can share this podcast with your friends, family, church members, and also share it on social media like Facebook, Instagram or other like platforms. It will be a great blessing for so many people.